Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Spring Fair 2022, the UK's most diverse, relevant, and exciting buying destination for wholesale home, gift, and fashion. See products, start planning, get inspired. Visit Spring Fair 2022. 6th to the 9th of February at the NEC Birmingham. Find your next bestsellers, forge new relationships, pique your curiosity, and be inspired with insight talks on best practice and trends. What are you waiting for? Find out more and register at springfair.com visit. That's springfair.com visit. Spring Fair 2022. Refueling Retail. Be there. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever. Welcome to a special episode of The Interview here on the Retail Exchange podcast as we look ahead to Spring Fair 2022. Casting where the retail industry will go has always been a tricky business, even more so given the disruption and events of the last two years. Most today have more choice than ever over what they buy and where they shop and which brands they want to associate themselves with same time, for those looking to attract customers, doing the right thing and enjoying business success has never been trickier. Increased competition is a factor, but so too are increasingly savvy customers whose purchasing behaviour is rapidly evolving. To peer through the windows of retail's future, I'm joined today by Simon Moriarty, Director of Trends, EMEA, at Mintel, to talk about changing consumer habits, ethical buying, and the important trends that will likely shape the direction of retail in 2022 and beyond. Simon, tell us about your role and responsibilities within Mintel. Sure. So I'm Simon Moriarty. I'm the Director of Trends for the EMEA region at Mintel, which basically means I am responsible for all of our research into what motivates people to make decisions, whether it's purchase decisions, brand relationship decisions, or looking at the external and internal drivers that, that push people to to change their minds about different things or to make long-term plans or, or shift expectations or shift attitudes. So we run research across 35 markets globally at Mintel, all of which feeds into our consumer trend analysis. And then we use that to to pick up interesting things that we found around the world. We use it to predict future behaviours, looking at the next 12 months, two years, five years and beyond. So bringing together all of our understanding and expertise around consumers and, and putting it in, into interesting and in, insightful pieces of content. So in a nutshell, what is the breadth of Mintel's activities in terms of gathering consumer insight? Yeah, we cover 35 markets. So we run surveys across 35 markets globally across uh, Europe, the Middle East, the Americas, Asia Pacific. We run those surveys on a, a quarterly basis or on a monthly basis, depending on the type of research we're doing. So we're constantly gathering data about consumer behavior, whether it's category specific, so things like food consumption, attitudes towards different types of technology, concerns about financial security, but also looking at more holistic data. So looking at attitudes towards things like health and well-being, attitudes towards things like experiences and nostalgia, understanding things around the impact of the pandemic on all of these different elements as well. It's understanding how that landscape will change. So what do they need to think about in terms of positioning themselves as a brand, positioning new products in two to five years on shelf, for example, or just having a 
a background understanding of, of what actually motivates their customers to make decisions? Is it purely about pricing, for example? Is it about their attitudes towards the brand? Is it about convenience? And looking at how those things shift on a, a day-by-day basis and using that expertise to predict how those shifts might manifest themselves in in shaping a specific market or shaping a specific consumer demand going forward. So the pandemic, which we've all been living through globally now for uh, the last two years, has clearly disrupted and interfered with the lives of consumers at many levels. And not just consumers uh, in a pure sense, but families, workers, people with relationships. What are the biggest kind of almost headlines which are coming out of the sentiment and how consumers are now thinking about their world uh, in this kind of phase where we now can hopefully and more with more confidence start to think about life living with COVID, not necessarily post-COVID, but certainly living with COVID? A number of things will stay not necessarily the same, but the, the habits that we've adopted and adapted to over various lockdown periods will they won't disappear overnight. You know, this I think during the first wave of the pandemic, there was a sense of eventually, whether it's in three months or six months, in 12 months, we'll go back to normal. And there was a lot of talk about the new normal in inverted commas. And I think that's actually a fairly dangerous and misleading way of, of positioning things because normality is so different to each individual person. And for a lot of people, their routines have been so disrupted that what was normal to them pre-pandemic just doesn't make sense anymore it's not relevant to their life so the benefits of being able to spend more time with family at home obviously there are downsides as well when you're trying to work and you may be in a a confined space and constantly interrupted but people have seen the benefits of of having you know maybe more meal times together with their families or the people they live with really kind of embracing the time that they do have to to socialize and understanding that you know there is uncertainty in the world things can change overnight so people looking to the future, being more aware of, of things like preparing themselves for any future uncertainties. But I think the biggest impact will be this balance of work and life. Um, and I think we'll see greater calls longer term for things like uh, a change in working patterns more than what we've seen at the moment where there's greater flexibility for a number of businesses where perhaps you're reducing the number of days that you're asked to come into the office, for example. There's reduced business travel. But I think longer term, that might manifest itself in, in people looking at things like four-day working weeks. And a number of businesses are already trialing that sort of thing, focusing on productivity rather than X amount of hours sitting behind a desk. And I think that will have a really significant change. Obviously, when we talk about this sort of thing, it, it doesn't impact everyone because it depends on the type of work you do and the type of situation you're in. And I think one of the things that will hopefully come out of this is that people recognise that whatever situation they're in that's that's been negative or has been restricted, a greater awareness that other people have been going through similar or or worse situations, and and hopefully that will have an impact on, you know, how people kind of react to other people, engage with other people, you know, things like interacting with with shop staff or or restaurant staff or bar staff, understanding that, you know, there is a kind of a service element that people have had to sacrifice a lot to kind of continue providing us with. And I think that will shift people's attitudes to to different expectations when it comes to interacting with businesses. And from the research that we've seen, there is optimism. There is uncertainty still. Uh, there is data that we've run that shows that in the US, for example, a significant number of people think that there will, there is likely to be another pandemic in their lifetime. But there is also optimism that people believe that 
the science can help protect them from future uncertainties, whether it's health or or climate change. So people are aware, I think, of what these uncertainties might be, but there is optimism and hope that there are measures in place that can help protect us, including our own behaviour. You mentioned the uh, uncertainty and optimism, almost two opposite ends of the spectrum there in terms of how we can choose to um, see the world. But if we think of the uncertainty that we've all got within ourselves right now, how do you think that that is going to continue to influence or drive consumers and their spending choices as we move forward? Yeah, it's a really important thing to think about. I think this uncertainty uncertainty existed in the world pre-pandemic. There's always been uncertainty with consumers, but for a lot of people, it's kind of until it directly impacts you, you don't necessarily think about it. You know, it's human nature to kind of push things aside that might might scare you or concern you. I think that the tangible impact of of the pandemic has raised uncertainty, and as from a, a more negative point of view, it's had a huge impact on people's mental health in in terms of isolation and loneliness. For a lot of people, I think it's a case of well, if this is what it's going to be like in the world, make the most of it go for it. It's about people's individual choice. Again, it's there's no kind of one way that people will, will shift back to what they were doing beforehand because people's priorities have changed. So things like travel, leisure, entertainment becoming more important than perhaps they were pre-pandemic. People wanting to physically and emotionally break out of those those physical and mental confines that they found themselves in because of the pandemic. And that will take a long time, I think, for things to change because People will want to feel safe and secure. People have impatience. They want to go back and enjoy themselves, but they don't want to do it at the risk of, of their own health, their family's health. You don't want to be stuck in an airport for hours on end. But people have gone through similar in the past. You know, there's, there have been outbreaks of different diseases or different epidemics in different destinations. Things have happened from a, a climate point of view that have reduced travel to certain destinations. People have learned to to be flexible and, and adjust and adapt. And that's the important thing. There's there's always going to be uncertainty in the world. People will always be uncertain as individuals because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's about, I think, flexibility. And, and now that lockdowns have kind of been lifted across a lot of markets and a lot of countries, I think people are understanding that they can be more flexible. They have a lot of different choices about what they can do with their their free time or their disposable income and, and being a bit more questioning and a bit more conscientious about what they want to spend on, whether it's a holiday, whether it's leisure, whether it's what they want out of their retail, their grocery shopping. People are just being a bit more conscientious about the choices that they're making. What do you think is the takeouts from a retailer perspective? How can the retailer leverage this sense of emerging optimism or underlying optimism but counteract the uncertainty that exists in many places i think from a enticing people back to physical stores point of view the key thing is the experiential making it more fun making it less of a chore regardless of the category i know for different categories is is the level of, of fun involved in shopping is different so when you go and you know buy clothing for example there's more of an element of, of fun and interactivity than when you go and do your grocery shopping but i think there's opportunity for brands across every sector from a retail point of view to make it feel less of a chore to make it feel less of an effort bring in elements of playfulness bring in elements of fun whether that's in the actual stores themselves whether it's through the marketing and advertising campaigns or the communication that they're sending out to their customers i mean it was a challenge pre-pandemic the future of the high street there was always there's there's been for, for a number of years talk of the decline of the high street with 
number of big brands disappearing or moving purely online because people's behavior was shifting that way anyway because of the demand for convenience flexibility cost consciousness and what we've seen pre-pandemic was i think a rise in things like destination shopping a renewed focus or a focus for the first time on converting transport hubs into kind of retail outlets as well we saw a huge amount of work in the likes of london bridge and king's cross stations in london where they're also contain high-end retail outlets they become places where it's not just you you stop off on your way to get a train to buy a bottle of water you can actually do your your christmas shopping or you can buy you know high-end fashion items i think a combination of the experiential and the destination focus but also that continued focus on convenience Um, because at the end of the day Convenience is probably the key driver of of why people go to places and buy certain things. That's why online shopping has become so huge. Um, That's why delivery services for food and drink over the pandemic became so, so huge as well. It wasn't just about the kind of safety element or the fact that your local restaurant may have been closed down. It was also about the convenience of having things, in many cases, whatever you wanted brought to your door within an hour. One of the, the impacts of the growth of online shopping has seen this idea of convenience itself change. So when someone like Amazon started, it was about being able to buy any book and get it delivered to you at any point from, you know, a week to a month, depending on availability. And then as logistics and everything else and availability and speed of connection changed, it became about 24 hour delivery. And that's for many people now is, is too long. Next day delivery is, is too slow. So people are looking at an hour's delivery, but then you see the likes of Gorillas, the the food delivery app, delivering groceries within 15 minutes within certain locations. So this is speeding up people's attitudes towards convenience, and that will have a, a huge impact on why they would go back into a physical store. I think one of the key things as well that will entice people is having that face-to-face interaction with brand experts. Again, that's dependent on what type of product you're buying, but having that expertise people miss being able to kind of try new things in store having someone giving them advice about you know whether it's makeup or clothing or big ticket items being able to sort of interact with products interact with brands and doing that online has worked to a certain degree but doing it physically people do miss that so this kind of big theme of destination and you know really uh, you know focusing on experience within brands presumably you would agree that the message there could also be applied to towns and cities themselves and how they create distinctiveness and quality and originality in their overall retail offer absolutely and i think that's where things like heritage play a really important part celebrating again local community understanding who lives there? Who goes there? Who visits there? What do they want? It's not just about sort of identikit high streets across the UK or across the world. It's maybe celebrating the uniqueness of the, the physical location. And people want to explore things like heritage, nostalgia. They want to understand their own place in the community in which they live or work or, or socialize. So there's a huge opportunity for, for brands to collaborate basing you know marketing campaigns communication campaigns experiential activities pop-up stores basing those around things like heritage and community rather than based around product or 
product availability. Well, the sounds of what you're saying is the pandemic is now creating opportunities for places to really rediscover what makes them different and original, interesting, exciting as one of the levers and drivers to get people back out of their homes and into the stores. Yes, absolutely. People crave something different. People want new things. That's always been the case, human nature to to want to try different things. Factoring in as well, the importance of things like heritage, nostalgia, feeling part of a community, which is hugely important for people, but not taking away from the, the basic drivers of, of consumption, which are cost and convenience. It's about how can brands, how can organizations understand that it's not one or the other. They can roll in elements of experiential without making it inaccessible to the majority of people, utilizing things like pop-ups. And in the data that you've been gathering in different markets, do you see that there are opportunities for this sort of digital world that has driven e-commerce in all different kinds of sectors, whether that's about you know goods and services, whether that's about hospitality? Where will it converge again with the physical and, and how do retailers go about that? Yeah, there's lots of opportunities to tap into the benefits of technological advancements for for non-online retailers. So bringing elements of things like virtual reality or augmented reality into store, again, focusing on things like experiential, the rollout of 5G will make that much more accessible. I think as well, there's going to be pushback against this kind of constant exposure to online, where it's online shopping, online entertainment, online communication. People will just want to spend time away from their screens, which will encourage them to go and visit stores. I think the idea of visiting a physical store will become something of a nostalgic experience itself because people will have been so used to doing everything online, buying everything online. But there is still that kind of underlying human desire to to physically interact with with products, to have the reassurance of actually seeing what you're buying before you buy it, of feeling like you're part of a community of shoppers behind a brand that's loyal to a brand. You're a community. You have exposure to people that can help you make a purchase decision, whether it's in your your local supermarket or whether it's in a, a huge shopping center. People still want this human interactivity. And while online has lots of benefits in terms of convenience and breadth of choice, that can be overwhelming. And just going back into physical stores reduces some of that uncertainty of that overwhelming nature. So do you believe that the consumer is now much more willing, let's say, to physically disconnect sometimes from their digital experience? For me, a recent experience, actually, I've been to the to cinema about half a dozen times in the last few months. And one of the messages that always comes out and, and has, has done for many years is about, you know, disconnecting your mobile and turning down the volume and not recording, blah, blah, blah. You know, what's surprised me in the last six times I've been to the movies is an almost 100% compliance to people actually now doing this. People physically engaging with that content for one, two, sometimes three hours without interruption. And I think that's quite interesting in itself. That it demonstrates to me that actually people are looking for that escape. And the escapism of being in the movie and that shared experience seems to be something that's resonated. Yeah, definitely. And even before the pandemic, we were running research, looking at things like attitudes towards uh, technology and smartphone usage. And we were seeing that, again, particularly among younger people in the UK, proactively taking time away from their devices to spend time outside with their friends was a a really important issue that younger people were recognizing because they knew the more time they spent on their phone 
connected to their screen, it was having a detrimental impact on their mental health and impacting on their friendships and so on. And I think because that's particularly resonant among younger people, that will continue to to be an important part of people's lifestyles. Over the last couple of years, it's been less about choice. There's always been an enforced exposure to more screens or more time on screen because it was a way to stay working, stay connected, stay shopping, stay entertained during lockdowns, during restricted movements. And I think people are aware, much more aware than perhaps they were previously, of the benefits of their own choices on their mental health. And I think that's a really important element of this discussion is that people are much more conscious of the things that they do and how that impacts on their their future well-being. And that manifests itself in in things like shutting off from your, your smartphone or, you know, engaging in a communal experience rather than a, a solo experience. You know, we know from research that people who spend more time eating alone have uh, lower levels of happiness than people who spend time eating with others. People who spend more time on their smartphones, we've seen the likes of Instagram in recent years, actively encouraging its users to take time off. So maybe one of the real positives here that's come out of the last few months is this more feeling more empowered actually to decide when they want to engage digitally or now that they can again to actually engage with a real experience. But perhaps conversely, what this might also say to brands is we have to reevaluate some of the activities that we've been doing in recent times. And whereas before we placed a lot more emphasis on perhaps engagement through social media, actually if the consumer is less interested in social media now, or actually they would rather you know, use social media for a specific thing in a specific way, they're going to have to reorientate the content or the frequency or the methods of communication if it's to remain relevant. Absolutely. And you talked about different identities that people have, and that's an important part of this, because we have all of these different personas, and it's our social media personas, it's our offline personas, it's our work personas. And it's about brands understanding how important those different personas are in any given day. People's priorities change. So people do want to take time away from social media, which means it's, you know, it's irrelevant or a waste of time for a brand to think, well, I'll just target all of my potential customers through Facebook. They need to have an awareness of why people are using platforms. You know, you go on to Facebook for a different reason than you go on to Instagram. You go on to LinkedIn for a different reason than you go on to Twitter. And within each of those platforms, you have a different persona consciously or or subconsciously you have a different persona when you're interacting with a brand in a physical store so it's one of the key trends that we launched recently was this idea of in control so people wanting more control over every aspect of their life what that means for brands is as well as providing the products and services that we expect it's also about being transparent and providing the information that we want whether it's about a specific product whether it's the impact on the environment of the the products and the manufacturing process, whether it's how that brand is working with local communities or local charities, how it treats its staff, what corporate social responsibility elements it has in place. People want access to all of this information in order to make choices. And there's a huge opportunity for brands to think not just about providing the product or the service that they want to sell, providing information to their their customers, their potential customers, to help them make lifestyle choices. So it could be information and guidance about how to spend more time away from your screen. It could be facilitating communities of like-minded people to bring people together with shared passions. It could be supporting local community organizations and doing so in a way that's authentic and is not an obvious attempt to kind of monetize it. I think that's what people will respond to and that will really engage brand loyalty longer term. 
And of course, one of the biggest topics and trends which has come up for all of us in recent months has been this whole uh, aspect of sustainability, more of a, a recognition of the fragile earth that we live in and the choices that we make and how that builds a better society. From the eyes of Mintel, what does your research suggest about ethical buying and, and how important really is that to consumers? A big report was published at the end of last year, which suggested that these categories are set for really exponential growth in the coming years. I think it's it's true that they, they will grow because ethics and ethicality and then expanding more broadly to things like concerns about the climate crisis and all of the different things that make up sustainability in the eyes of consumers, all of these things are becoming not just more important in terms of this is what consumers think about. People are seeing the tangible impact on their day-to-day life of what would happen if nothing changes. So is this an example where Mintel research can really help brands? Because, you know, for most companies, there's this kind of push-pull in terms of innovation. When do you launch? What do you launch? And is there an appetite for it from the consumer? So if you take something like the the rise that we have in in meat-free products, clearly that's aligned to uh, increasing plant-based diets, people wanting to have one or two days or more where they're not consuming meat within their diets. Does that mean in practical terms, though, that the kind of advice that you can offer to brands is actually raising awareness of some of these these trends and these future objectives almost from the consumer and therefore helping to encourage innovation in the brand so that they can maintain their position in that space? Absolutely. And it's it's something from a sustainability point of view. You know, every brand is aware that sustainability is a concern, but what they may not be aware of is what sustainability means for their individual consumers. So for large numbers of people, it is about meat alternatives or it's about changing their diets in in different ways, looking for different ways that they can reduce their own carbon emissions at home or they can reduce their own waste footprint at home. So it's not just about providing products. Again, we're seeing a huge rollout of different alternatives and Partly that's through demand, partly it's because brands are more aware of the opportunities that they have to kind of set the standard for what those products might look like in terms of texture and flavor and taste and and pricing and how they can stand apart by positioning themselves as a more ethical brand. And we've seen how things like meat alternatives have developed and become more sophisticated and people have, have latched onto that because it's no longer seen as a, you know, a less good alternative. I think behind that approach and that appetite for alternatives, there is that lingering awareness that if things don't change in terms of the climate crisis, then it's too late. So so in very practical terms, if we were to look at together and go and do a supermarket shop, you and I, in five years' time, would you expect to see a very different type of assortment in store? I think if you, you know, even now, go and have a look at uh, any particular category, take milk, for example. You know, the dairy category has been transformed in recent months with plant-based alternatives to, you know, the white stuff that we all consume in various forms. But do you see that that replicating across all categories so that, you know, the supermarket, as I say, in five to ten years' time, we will be seeing a very different offer in store? I think so. I think the key thing that we'll see is that those alternatives that have cropped up on shelf, you talked about milk and then dairy free alternatives and different, different flavoured alternatives. So it's no longer you either get milk or you get almond milk, you can get coconut milk, you can get different flavoured varieties, you can get light versions of all of these things. So they're becoming much more mainstream. One of the things we predicted a couple of years ago, looking to the next five years and beyond was that 
consumption of red meat would move from being a kind of a mainstream behavior among consumers to becoming more of a luxury to then becoming more of a taboo. So I think what we will see is the alternatives will be no longer positioned as alternatives. They are mainstream options for your consumption, depending on your mood, your budget, what type of flavor experience you want. So we're seeing much more in terms of development of alternatives, not just an alternative to red meat or an alternative to chicken. It's an alternative to your burrito or your taco or your burger or your pizza. We're seeing a huge amount of innovation around flavor that also has that benefit of of having that alternative, you know, ethical consideration. So I think five, 10 years time, the supermarket will be hugely different when it comes to animal products and protein products in particular. We'll also see a huge difference in terms of packaging. Um, so things like single-use plastic, disposable packaging, different different types of combustible packaging becoming, again, not an alternative, but the mainstream. Uh, and I guess that means not just the choice and availability that we have of products in store will be changed, but so too possibly even the layout or composition of a store experience. Absolutely. And I think stores focusing, again, going back to one of the first things we talked about, the experience. So you go in and you're looking for what is it that I want to satisfy a specific desire that I have in terms of my mood? What kind of experience am I after with my the food that I'm consuming? Is it health and nutrition based? Is it diet based? Do I have a specific target? Or is it about enjoying a cuisine from a, a different part of the world? Is it about the fact that I'm spending the night in front of the TV, so I want something that's kind of indulgent? Is it about the fact that I'm, I've just run a marathon and I want something that will help me kind of recover and recuperate. And so it's about moods rather than than specific products. So I think focusing on things like mood and also being more dynamic in changing store layouts based on not just on seasonality, but on different things like veganuary or different, you know, nationwide campaigns that people are aware of. We'll see more and more supermarkets perhaps launching their own campaigns based around different needs rather than just giving up something for a specific point of time it's about your end goals again understanding the individual consumer so you go into the supermarket my end goal is to eat less meat and you're automatically directed to the place where you can get everything you need without it feeling like i have to go all the way feel like a bit of a kind of you know scuttling along a, a, a dusty aisle where no one ever visits to pick up something that i've never seen before because it's positioned as an alternative it should all be there available for you based on your choices with things like dynamic pricing as well dynamic pricing based on you know how many people are shopping or how does this add to your your loyalty with the the supermarket having that kind of thing reflected in real time is important using things like scoring systems on on products or on on shelf which you can track with an app or using your smartphone to give you an idea about how it fits into that that broader goal that you might have whether it's sustainability based whether it's lifestyle based so using technology to really make the experience more dynamic because that won't take away from the convenience factor which the thing is with with behavioral changes whether it's changing your diet whether it's recycling more whether it's reusing packaging if it becomes cost ineffective and time ineffective for the consumer, no matter how much they want to change that behavior, they won't do it because it's costing them time and money. 
it's making their life harder. So essentially, whatever brands do, whether they're supermarkets, whether they're clothing retailers, whatever type of brand that's trying to provide a solution for a customer, they have to do it in a way that benefits that individual and rewards that individual, incentivizes that individual to make that purchase. Mm. Just talking together, I mean, it's it's very clear that if you're managing a retail brand these days, you know, this is not a very simple linear transactional thing you're delivering here where you buy some products, you put it in a store and you you promote it, whether that's through information or through service. Brands these days are having to wrestle with many more dynamics in terms of what are the motivations for consumers. When there's such a backdrop of brands to have to think about all at once and they're all important and all at the same time, how would you suggest that a brand actually focuses on actually delivering something that just adds meaningful value? Bringing customers on board with the decision-making process, tangibly asking customers what they want, why do they want it, what kind of thing do they want to see in future, looking at more creativity within own brand as well and not just making it fo- you know the, the focus for own brand in a lot of cases is the, the cost you know this is cheaper than a branded alternative so you should buy it but focusing on things like the health credentials the sustainability credentials the packaging credentials how it fits into your lifestyle how it fits into your mood so really embracing all of those different individual needs that consumers have and yes it it, it will take time it's not necessarily about you know, wiping the board clean. There's room for supermarkets in particular, I think, to do this incrementally and to experiment with what works. And, you know, we've seen supermarkets doing that before with with how they position different products in different areas to try and encourage footfall or encourage impulse purchasing. But again, being, being bolder with that, focusing on things like mood and experience, targeting different demographics, having specific days or time periods during a day to make the experience different for a specific demographic whether it's an older cohort whether it's people with disabilities we've seen examples in the past of supermarkets having time set aside so that people on the autism spectrum could feel more welcome they reduce the the sort of ambient noise and change the lighting to help people feel more welcome all of that kind of thing and i think longer term over the next five ten years based on things like biometrics based on collection of consumer data being able to almost do that automatically we'll start seeing more and more of across different retail outlets and and i think you paint quite an interesting picture here for the future and rather than one where it's just doom and gloom for the high street it's recognizing that innovation here could be its salvation by understanding that they have a highly engaged consumer and that there is a two-way relationship that's operating here it can be participative and collaborative that's actually win-win for both the brand and for the customers absolutely and I think an important side note to that is they still have to consider the customers who don't want to change, you know, the ones who will still buy the same product that they've always bought. They want they want consistency. They like the familiarity. They, they like their routine. So it's about innovating, partnering, collaborating, but also being accessible, not turning that innovation and partnership into an exclusive club, making it still an accessible part of the community you know for any type of retailer that provides essential services they are a a central point of community whether that community is a whole town or village whether that community is a an area of four streets in london you know it's it's really important that they they really focus on the community aspect of of who they're servicing and, and and why they're servicing those communities 
we've talked about experience. We've talked about recognising, you know, how physical and digital still need to be important, but perhaps come together. What advice would you give to businesses that are now saying, look, we're out of the crisis and we now need to start raising our heads and start to think about how and where can we grow? I think the most important trend, or the one that, that resonates the most with me out of the trends that we've seen develop over the pandemic in particular, is this trend towards playfulness, which brings together the experiential sort of traditional benefits of, of something new and novel, but it also has the physical and mental health benefits of allowing people to de-stress, breaking them out of their day-to-day worries. It positions brands in a, in a different way. It gives people a different view of a brand's it can bring in elements of that familiarity of nostalgia, the the kind of comfort of, of childishness, allowing consumers to think and feel slightly more relaxed, making it feel that day-to-day chores or routines don't have to be boring or negative. You're not restricted in any way. So adding in elements of playfulness, I think, is really, really important for brands. I know lots of brands do it already. And some brands do it very well. Uh, some brands don't do it as well. But I think there's room for for brands that have maybe traditionally focused on, you know, the core purpose of their product or the core purpose of their service or their tradition, their legacy. It's maybe bringing in elements of fun and just giving people a chance to see the brand and the experience that that brand offers in a different way. And I think particularly post-pandemic, fun, enjoyment, playfulness are key things that people are craving. It's not that people want to go back into store because they want to go back into store. It's something that people have to do. And it's about making that as fun as possible, as enjoyable as possible. And the developments of technology, the developments of understanding who your customers are from an individual point of view based on the data you're collecting can provide huge opportunities for brands to think about that in a more playful way. Uh, But again, doing so in a way that's authentic and, and inclusive. So perhaps then the final footnote to this discussion is that really what brands need to think about is lightening up. I think so. And I think because there's been such a period over the last couple of years of darkness for many people and and uncertainty about what's happening in the future, that lightening up, as long as it's not kind of done in a way that feels inauthentic or treating things less seriously than they should be treated – and there is a fine balance between being playful and being offensive potentially but just having yeah taking a step back and thinking how can we do things in a way that maybe is a bit more playful maybe is a bit more fun it doesn't have to to you know you don't have to bring in slides into every supermarket you don't have to change everything that you do this could be about the messaging it could be about the branding it could just be about the way that staff are trained to to speak to consumers in store it could be about email campaigns So I think, yeah, this idea of lightening up, providing a sense of optimism, I think is a hugely important thing for brands to do. Simon, it's been a fascinating conversation and I wish we could talk for much longer. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you as our guest on the Retail Exchange podcast. If you want to hear more from Simon, be sure to register to attend Spring Fair 2022, the 6th to the 9th of February at the NEC Birmingham, where Simon will be speaking on the Retail Inspire stage. To register for tickets, visit www.springfair.com. And be sure to stay tuned for more episodes coming soon from Spring Fair with the Retail Exchange podcast. But for now, I've been Carl McKeever. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. 
Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening.